Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest this week is the Attorney General of the state of North Carolina. He uh, began his uh, duties as Attorney General in 2017 when he was elected as the 50th Attorney General in the history of North Carolina, and that would be the Honorable Josh Stein. And we're delighted to have you with us. And uh, uh, we uh, always look forward to your visits because you always tell us something that uh, we didn't know that, that we probably ought to know. So uh, you, it's, uh, uh, you know, I guess the first thing we start with right now is always COVID-19 because it's, uh, uh, it's now COVID-22. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're still dealing with the COVID issue. and This still is causing a lot of changes and a lot of difficulties. What are the bigger changes that the uh, the conditions that surround COVID and all of the uh, COVID-related things are affecting your office and your work as Attorney General of the state of North Carolina? Well, Don, always a pleasure to be with you. And yeah, it does seem like we've been talking about COVID for a long time. Uh, my office has a particular concern around scams and frauds. We want to make sure that people are protected, that they have the information they need to protect themselves and their loved ones. And what this pandemic has done is at various stages along the way, there have been different types of scams depending on what's going on. Uh, when it first hit us, you'll remember there was a run on toilet paper and there were all these things you couldn't buy. And we saw um, price gouging. We saw people selling uh, cleaning supplies at astronomical prices on the internet. We saw people promising miracle cures to uh, a vaccine to keep people from getting it before there actually was a real vaccine that could keep us much healthier. So that's how it started. And then we saw a lot of scams around economic impact payments and the different payments the federal governments were making to help people um, stand on their two feet. And there were scammers trying to get either people's money or personal information. What we have been seeing in the latest round of scams have to do with at-home tests. It's basically whatever's going on that people need the most. That's what they go after. So folks have been desperate, particularly over Christmas, for at-home tests so that when they were going to see their family, their loved ones, they could get tested and make sure they weren't going to make anybody sick. Um, we've seen those and we've seen mask issues. Um, there actually have been reports about fake testing sites, sites that, that try to just get people's information that aren't actually even valid testing sites. And so we recommend folks reach out to their, their county health department or the Department of Health and Human Services so you can find what are the free testing sites around North Carolina that you know are 100% legitimate. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting how scammers are um, very smart people uh, because they always take advantage of things that are current and on people's minds. And I've always wondered how much money a scammer could be if they were legitimate because they're clearly smart. They're, they're very clearly smart. clever. They're, they're as they, greedy they, as they are clever. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Yeah. And they use whatever is the news of the moment, whatever's got us all worked up and in the state, you know, as people, we always get all worked up about something and, they exploit that kind of anxiety to try to make a quick buck to steal our money or steal our personal information. So if you feel like you're being scammed or you have a question 
Uh, is it helpful to you for them to contact your office and, and uh, uh, give you a heads up that you that they feel like they're being scammed or they're questioning the legitimacy of the, the caller or the emailer? Yeah, for two reasons. We absolutely do want to hear from people. Uh, one is we need to know what's going on. What are the newest scams? Because we only learn by hearing from North Carolinians. And when we learn about them, we can then do consumer alerts, which we broadcast statewide to protect other people so that they have the information they need. The second reason is, is we always ask people to reach out to us before they follow through with something. Because usually or oftentimes before somebody gets scammed, they have this nagging suspicion that it doesn't feel quite right, but for whatever reason, they're feeling pressured or they're scared or whatever. And so they say, oh, I'm going to go for it. Well, instead of going for it, just pause, call us. We have a toll-free number, 877-5-NO-SCAM, and ask us and say, hey, have you heard about this? This person's saying they're from the Social Security Administration, and that if I don't pay them money, they're going to cancel my Social Security number. Or they're calling from the IRS, and they said that they've got a federal agent getting ready out come to my door to arrest me if I don't immediately pay my back taxes, which I don't know anything about. You know, they they try to make us afraid. So we send them money. So before you do that, just call our office and ask us and we can help you know, is it legit or not? So uh, while we're thinking about it, let's give the number down and we'll also repeat it later on in the program if people don't happen to have a piece of paper handy to write it down now. But how do they get in touch with your office? Yeah, easy, either by telephone or online. Uh, by telephone, it's 877-5-NO-SCAM. So that's toll-free, 877-5-NO-SCAM. Uh, and if they have a complaint about a business, some business hadn't treated them right for whatever reason, or they've seen a scam and they are concerned, it, just go to the website ncdoj.gov, ncdoj, North Carolina Department of Justice, .gov for government, slash complaint, and that form will pop right up. Okay, and we'll we'll repeat this a couple of times too in the program, just in case people want to uh, write that information down. It's uh, uh, if, if we're in doubt, it just it, you know why not err on the side of finding out? It's just easier to do. That's what we always that we always tell people: just slow down. If you slow down, you can save yourself a lot of heartache. Yeah. One of the things we ask about almost every time is how are you doing on the robocalls? <laughs> that bother us all because we're getting them on our cell phone and on our landlines. And I know you were working very hard to try to get that eliminated or at least under control. Uh, what's the latest on that, uh, uh, that area of your concerns? And it, it remains the top complaint we get every year, Don. About a third of all the complaints filed with my office last year had to do with robocalls. So it's a major issue. It's an issue of annoyance to most people, you know, drives us crazy. It interrupts us in our meetings and our daily lives. But the reason the calls exist, they make millions of these calls just to get a few people as victims of fraud. And from those few people, they can make tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They can take somebody's entire life savings. It's, it's truly heartbreaking when you encounter the victims. And so fighting these robocalls have been, has been a major priority of my and my office. Uh, we had a big day yesterday. We took to court a telephone company, a telephone company in Texas. 
and uh, a guy named Paul um, Talbot. What they did is served as the gateway phone company for international robocalls. These calls predominantly originate abroad, but not exclusively, but most of them come from foreign countries. They can't get to your phone. You know, I don't know who you use as your carrier, but if it's AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile, whoever, it doesn't matter. It cannot get to your phone unless some company in the United States, a telephone company, accepts that traffic, accepts those phone calls. And we took this guy to federal court because his phone company was the gateway through which these international robocalls, tens of millions of them just in a few month period, came bombarded North Carolina phones, billions for the whole country. And he's got to put a stop to it. Here's the deal. He knows that these are illegal calls. He knows because of the special characteristics of robocalls, they're very short in duration because most people don't answer them. If they do, they immediately hang up. So the average call is just a few seconds. They each have a unique phone number because they put spoof numbers on each phone number. Uh, and there's very low answer rate. These are all characteristics of robocalls. Additionally, the Social Security Administration notified him that he was using, his phone company was being used to perpetrate fraud in the name of the Social Security Administration. Some of these robocalls were purporting to be from Social Security and threatening people to take away their Social Security if they didn't make a payment. Uh, and then additionally, there's a, an industry work group called uh, U.S. Telecom that traces back the calls, these illegal robocalls from your and my telephone all the way back to the source. And that group identified hundreds of millions of these calls coming through this phone company and told the guy, hey, your system is being used to perpetuate fraud on Americans. And he didn't stop. We reached out to him, told him to stop. He wouldn't stop. So I'm taking him to court to shut him down. And I want him to pay. I want him to pay seriously because I want to send a strong signal to other phone companies out there. Look, even though you can make money off of each one of these calls by turning a blind eye, if you do that, you're facing legal sanction and don't do it. And that's what we're trying to achieve here. Well, it's, it's uh, interesting how people, uh, you, know, can, you, you, you can find somebody somewhere that will do it. And the only way to stop it is exactly what you're doing is just run it down and find the perpetrators and, and put them in a situation where they've got to pay up or go to jail, one or the other. Yeah. And so basically we're trying to circle the wrongdoers. We're trying to tighten that circle to make it harder and harder for them to do business. You know, there are certain things that show up on your phone now that might say spam alert or robocaller alert or something, depending on what your phone company is. That was actually a result of some negotiations I led a couple of years ago where I brought all of the AGs together, negotiated with the largest phone companies and said, look, you guys need to do a better job deploying technologies to protect us. It's a technological war right now. The robocallers are using VOIP, voice over internet protocol, using the internet to make these calls. They're spoofing their numbers to try to make it look like they're coming from somewhere else. They are using technology to create fraud. You all need to use technology to defend us. And so that was a, that was a win. So even though the calls still are coming through um, more than any of us would ever want, there are increasingly more tools 
to combat them, like those spam alert notices? Well, I think uh, I'm just guessing, but I think I'm getting less and less of them. And so what what work is uh, remaining to really put a stop to this whole practice? Well, one thing to deal with those spoofed calls where it they'll use your, your area code and your prefix and it kind of looks like your spouse's number, but it's not quite your spouse's number. And you answer the phone and then they're selling you an auto warranty. That's because they're misrepresenting the phone number from which the call was originated. That's spoofing. Well, there's technology called stir shaken that all the phone companies have to deploy to prevent that from happening. Every phone call has to have a unique digital identifier to a specific number. And the FCC had a rule that said the big phone companies had to institute this last June, but the small companies got until next year. I led a 51 AG coalition said that's not good enough. You need to accelerate that to this year. And the FCC has done that. So we're getting closer and closer. That sounds great. Well, I know we'll all be glad to get rid of it because it is an annoyance. And for those who are taking advantage of it, it's even, as you said, can be catastrophic in many cases. Our guest is Attorney General Josh Stein, and uh, we will be back and discuss some other issues here on Carolina Newsmakers, and we'll do that after we take time out for this message. You stay tuned. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? babies made what does this thing do kids are curious about everything including guns talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step but you can do more always keep your guns locked unloaded and stored separately from ammunition storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire including unintentional shootings for more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe visit endfamilyfire.org that's endfamilyfire.org what do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Our guest on Carolina Newsmakers is Josh Stein. He is the 50th Attorney General in the state of North Carolina's history and uh, was elected to that position in 2017. Um, we, uh, we talked about the first issue, robocalls, which seems to be on everybody's mind, but another topic that uh, the Attorney General has been very active in uh, pursuing is the, the opioid problem, and it is not getting a whole lot better, maybe even getting worse. So what's the latest on that, and what are you trying to do to solve the the, uh, the crisis that, uh, that it exists. Uh, You're you absolutely right, Don. Tragically, the opioid crisis is deadlier than ever. It's already been the deadliest drug epidemic in American history. And we had actually, in 2019, seen a decline. 
and the number of opioid overdose deaths. It was the first time in years that we'd seen a decline. And we felt like a lot of our efforts that we've been fighting for for years were beginning to take fruit, like reducing the number of pills that were prescribed and having drug take back events and public education campaigns. So we started to feel like we were turning the corner and then COVID hit. And all of the problems of COVID, the isolation it's created, people's anxiety, job loss, depression, all of the things that folks have felt, those are the same factors that drive addiction and overdose. And so the last two years have been the deadliest years in terms of overdoses from opioids in the history of the country, just absolutely devastating. Well, I've been working hard to try to hold accountable the drug companies that made billions of dollars while millions of Americans were becoming addicted to these pills over the last 20 years. And we had a huge win last year where uh, North Carolina and Tennessee, uh, Herbert Slater, the AG of Tennessee, and I were the two lead attorneys general, every AG in the country. And we negotiated with the three drug distributors, Amerisource, Bergen, McKesson, and Cardinal, companies people don't really have familiarity with because they're the ones who take the pills from the manufacturer to the drugstore. So you and I don't interact with those companies, but they're massive corporations and they had a legal duty to prevent communities from being inundated with these pills. And we alleged they didn't meet their duty. We not only took, negotiated with them, but we negotiated with Johnson & Johnson, which manufactured generic opioids. And combined, we achieved a $26 billion settlement. It's the second largest multi-state settlement by attorneys general in the history of the country, only second to the tobacco deal from 22 years ago. So though those funds are going to come to various states and localities, local governments, and the money has to be used, almost all of it has to be used to attack the crisis, to help people who are struggling with addiction, with strategies like treatment facilities or diversion programs that governments can operate to move people out of criminal justice system into the healthcare system, uh, harm reduction strategies to keep people alive like uh, naloxone distribution or syringe exchanges, also services to help people in recovery, um, housing assistance, economic assistance, or job assistance so they can get jobs, things that people need in order to create a stable life, which would then support them as they live free of their addiction to opioids. And I'm really excited about what's going to happen in North Carolina. All 100 counties and the 45 largest cities have signed on to the deal that I negotiated. And as a result, North Carolina is in store to get our full allotment of $750 million over the next number of years, with most of it coming in the next five years or, or a plurality of it in the next five years. And that money is going to save people's lives. And it's so desperately needed. One of the sad things is, you know, quite frankly, this is kind of news to me. And uh, why is it that we're not hearing more about this in the uh, the general coverage of news by TV and radio stations, because I'm, this is surprising that it has increased to me. I, I'm, I'm unaware. Is, is the public generally just unaware that this has gotten worse? It's not the public's fault for not knowing it. I, I frankly think that the media and the public sort of can handle one major public health epidemic or pandemic at a time. 
And if you remember, there was a lot of news coverage about the opioid crisis in 2018 and 2019. But as soon as COVID hit, you know, that's the only thing people have been able to talk about. And the only time you ever really see a story about opioids now, it's in relation to the fact that the pandemic has made it worse. Um, But what we want to do is help people who are struggling because there are tens of thousands of North Carolinians who are struggling. And it doesn't just impact those individuals, but their families. I mean, the emotional pain that families experience when they have a loved one who is addicted to opioids is intense because every day they're worried about getting the call that that was the day that their loved one uh, overdosed and died. And so uh, we want we want to alleviate those families and those people, as many of them as we can, of that emotional pain and liberate people so they can have a, a full and happy life like you and I. You know, every day you wake up and decide, what do I want to do today? You know, how do I want to spend my time? You don't ask yourself, how am I going to get drugs? You know, that's what those people have to suffer through. If someone has a, a, a an addiction and you're a family member, where do you get help? Where, who do you go to? The family doctor or do you go to the health department? Where do you go for help when you're trying to help a loved one in your family? A family doctor is always a good place to start. We also have a really helpful resource that we've put out in partnership with Blue Cross Blue Shield and Atrium Health, uh, the hurricanes. It's called More Powerful NC. And the website is morepowerfulnc.org. Morepowerfulnc.org. And it is chock full of useful information, information about what is opioid addiction. If you're struggling with opioid addiction, where can you turn to for help? If you're a family member of somebody struggling, where can you turn to for help? If you're a, a, a local government leader, a county commissioner, town councilor, mayor, and you want to fight this problem in your community, what are ideas you can implement to make people's lives in your area better? So it's a really great resource, morepowerfulnc.org. Another thing that uh, has sort of been pushed in the background because of probably the attention, as you said, that we paid it. Uh, COVID-19 and uh, uh, the uh, health crisis in that area is the damage of e-cigarettes. And uh, you've done a lot of work there. So where does that stand now? We had a huge win last year here in North Carolina. North Carolina was the first state in the country to take Juul, the e-cigarette manufacturers, the 800-pound gorilla, to court for its role in creating a, a youth vaping epidemic. Uh, Over the 20-year period from the late 90s to the late teens, in this country, we had experienced an incredible public health victory, Don. We had driven teen smoking from about the 30th percent of of teen smoking down to below 5%. And we were trending towards zero, which is obviously the goal because we don't want kids smoking and getting addicted to nicotine. But then Juul and and e-cigarettes came along. And it created this wildfire of use among teenagers. And essentially, all the gains that we had achieved as a country evaporated like a puff of smoke, just like a puff of vapor from one of these e-cigarettes. And Juul was the primary driver of this tragic development. And so I took them to court because I alleged they designed, marketed, and sold their product in a way to target young people. 
And we reached a resolution with Jewel last summer in which they agreed to fundamentally change the way they do business to change their marketing and sales practices to insulate kids so that, yeah, they can continue to sell it to adults over 21, but not the kids. And then second, they're paying the state of North Carolina $40 million so that we can then help kids conquer their addiction to nicotine. Uh, Really proud of that accomplishment. Since Juul has started doing things the right way, other companies have sort of tried to fill the vacuum. One of them is called Puff Bar. They are like a Juul, but instead of reusable cartridges, they're single-use sticks. And uh, we have commenced an investigation into their business practices to determine if they are going after kids improperly. Well, it's uh, uh, so basically... uh, uh, how did they change their marketing? What what, did, what steps did they take that uh, they could show to you that uh, would cause a uh, lack of interest among teenagers? One thing is, is they agreed to use no model younger than 35 in any of their ads. Whereas when they were really hip and cool in 2016, they were using all these early 20s people who were scantily clad at parties. They're having a great time. They did what they call as viral marketing, where they would hashtag things and then kids would retweet it or or like it on Instagram or TikTok or wherever the heck they were watching it. The other thing they've agreed to do is they're not going to go on those social media platforms. They're not going to go on Instagram or TikTok uh, where kids are and what kids use. And so they're not going to market in any way. They're not going to make claims about it that they can't support scientifically. Um, They have gotten rid of all flavors, except for right now menthol, and I'm urging them to get rid of menthol. I've urged the uh, FDA, Federal Drug Administration, to ban menthol for these products because that's, the kids only use it because they like the flavor. They don't, they don't use it to do tobacco. (laughs) They use it for the flavor. And so uh, I'm trying to protect kids that way as well. Well, I was going to say one other thing they've done is they have really strengthened their online sales to do age verification. So kids can't buy it online anymore. And they've got a point of sale um, technology that they're putting in any retailer that sells their product where the person has to use their ID and insert it to validate that it's a real ID and that it's not a fake ID that a kid's using in order to, to get, um, to buy the product. And the second thing they're doing is a secret shopper program where they're sending young adults to the stores, unbeknownst to the store, to see if they're getting carded or not. And they're gonna sanction the stores that don't actually card their customers. It sounds like that's a great program. And of course, so I guess now you, your job is to get the other companies that are creating a product similar to do the same thing. Yeah. And I've taken maybe eight or nine of them to court and had them stop their sales here in North Carolina. But honestly, Don, it's whack-a-mole. And what I need, what we need as a, as a state, what we need as a country is for the Federal Drug Administration to create industry-wide rules that apply to everyone trying to sell an e-cigarette in this country to protect kids. And that's, I've written the FDA on a number of occasions, urging them to do the right thing in that regard. 
Wonder why they wonder why they wouldn't jump all over that. It would look like this would be something that would be akin to their war on the tobacco products. Yeah, I mean they've done some good in this regard, but then there are a lot of people out there who vape, and there are a lot of vaping companies, and so everything, like everything else, is political. Yeah. Well, I know when vaping first started, people thought it was actually uh, a, a good way to to actually improve health. And that was the reason some people started, I, you know. And, and so. actually, I mean, for some people, that is actually the truth, right? Like if you are a lifelong cigarette smoker and you smoke, you know, uh, unfiltered uh, cigarettes, that's terrible for your lungs and everything else, right? The vaping... We don't know how dangerous vaping is to people's lungs over the long term because it's a new product. I'm quite sure that there are going to be problems, but uh, we need the FDA to do more. Our guest is John Stein, uh, Josh Stein, and we'll be back with more here on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. <coughs> to some people, the sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much. But that's not necessarily true. By six months, they're combining vowels and consonants. By nine months, they're trying out different kinds of sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on some meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Early screening and intervention can make a lifetime of difference and unlock a world of possibilities. Take the first step at AutismSpeaks.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Melissa from Michigan. I work an extra part-time job serving lunch at my child's school, but still can't afford to put food on our table. Daniel from California. Choosing whether to pay the rent or pay to fix the car to get to work doesn't leave us with much at all. Now we can't even pay for meals. Hunger is a story we can end. End it at feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Now once again with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Attorney General Josh Stein, and uh, we've discussed uh, COVID and the problems that are associated with COVID. We've talked about the opioid problem and e-cigarettes, and now let's turn to other areas of concern that are of concern to the uh, office at the uh, North Carolina Attorney General's office and his staff. Uh, I know you are always working out, working on scams, and it's unfortunate that uh, Scams very often target the elderly. They usually involve natural disasters, uh, telemarketing scams, and uh, you touched a little bit about uh, the scams that are coming up about uh, COVID-19 and supplies. So what are some of the other scams that you're working on and what can we do to assist you in alerting the public to watch out and be careful about these things? There are just some tried and true scams that we see over and over again. Things like the romance scams where people through social media get contacted and then over a period of time develop a relationship with somebody because that person is misrepresenting who they are. They say that they're working in Bahrain or they're working on a 
oil rig in the Gulf. And that's why they can't see the person, uh, but they develop this emotional connection and then start sending them money. And I, I just got a call this week uh, from a poor person in, in Wilson who's been victimized by one of those. There, there's grandchild scam where same kind of concept. Somebody calls up grandma or grandpa and says, hey, it's little Johnny. They, they know who the grandkid is based on social media and say, look, I'm in trouble. Don't tell mom and dad, but I need money to get out of jail. You know, send it right now. Help me. And again, they're trying to create fear and urgency so that people make bad decisions and, and lose their money. Um, we see a lot of misrepresentations on the Internet where people are selling something like here's a piece of furniture uh, or here's an apartment you can rent or here's a dress you can buy. And the seller doesn't possess those items. All they have is a picture of the item and the person sends the money to the criminal. And of course, they never get the product. Uh, I just got a call last week uh, from somebody who was scammed by somebody wanting to buy furniture that they were selling. And they sent them money for the furniture, but they sent them a cashier's check in excess of the price amount. They deposit the cashier's check and the guy says, oh, well, you just send me back the $1,000. And so then they send them back the $1,000. Well, three or four days later, the check doesn't clear. It bounces because it's not a legit cashier check, but they're out of the money that they sent back to the criminal. So to your point that you made at the beginning of our conversations, Don, these folks are creative but they're heartless and they're greedy and people just need to be suspicious of everybody out there. People are not who they say they are a lot of the time. I would imagine that the recent uh, run of uh, price increases due to inflation is going to play in the hands of some of these scammers as well, that they will come up with something that, uh, uh, so the old adage, if it seems too good to be true, it probably <laughs> There's no question. Probably reason for concern. Yeah, and we see price gouging a lot whenever there's a state of emergency. You know, sometimes we experience state of emergencies in the aftermath of a storm of some sort, hurricanes down east, or a snowstorm somewhere else in the state. Or we saw one last year after the Colonial Pipeline shut down, and some gas stations started charging outrageous prices. Of course, we've seen price gouging. Uh, 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 regarding certain products as a result of the COVID pandemic. And whenever the governor declares a state of emergency, that triggers our state's price gouging law. And what we do at the attorney general's office is investigate the complaints we get, and we get thousands of them, depending on what the crisis is. And then when we see a seller charging some unreasonable price, some huge markup, it's unjustifiable. Like they don't have a basis for increasing the price. Their costs didn't go up. They already had the inventory. They're just trying to make a buck off of people's desperation. That's why we have a price gouging law. And we've aggressively enforced the law. And just last week, we achieved three resolutions of cases that we brought. Uh, one was last year having to do with the gas station in Durham. And two of them were from the year before that or the year before that, again, um, after the hurricanes down east with tree removal, one in New Bern and, and one in Wilmington. And you add up all of those settlements and they were like $100,000 all in since I've been in office, Don. We've won settlements and awards back for North Carolina consumers of over a million dollars just in price gouging cases. 
just in making sure that people are not ripping off people who are desperate in a state of emergency. I noticed in one of the notes that uh, our producer gave me, uh, it says spotting scam debt collectors. What's going on there? Well, debt collectors have a new way to reach out to people who owe money to a creditor. Um, they're now allowed to use social media. They cannot post on your profile in a public manner where other people can see it, but they can contact you through social media. But they also have to tell, if you don't want to hear from them through your social media profiles, you can tell them, stop contacting me in this in this manner, and they have to abide by your request. So if you get contacted by a, a debt collector through social media and you don't want to hear it, just say, stop contacting me in this way. So the the law remains the same. People are allowed to collect on debts, but they're not allowed to harass harass you. They're not allowed to threaten you. They're not allowed to call your boss and, and tell them about your debts. Uh, and if people experience those kinds of problems, those are legitimate complaints they should file with my office so that we can pursue the debt collector and get them into compliance with our laws that protect consumers' rights. And to file a complaint uh, about debt collector or anything, just go to our website, which is ncdoj.gov slash complaints. And of course, the telephone number that you gave us earlier also, one eight seven seven five no scam So you need to do it by telephone or by the email. And that email address one more time, ncdoj.gov slash complaints. I guess that's plural. Yeah, complaint uh, so, singular. Uh, oh, complaint? Yeah, complaint. Okay, good. So just just the word complaint. Okay. Well, uh, I also noticed on my notes that Jason has given me, uh, it says Safe Child Act. So what's going on there? That was a law that my office championed a couple of years ago to protect children from child sex abuse wherever they are. Whether they're online, we wanted to protect them on the social media sites that kids use to make sure that uh, dangerous sex predators can't use those websites to talk to minors. Um, but we also want to protect them at summer camp, at their religious place of worship, at Little League, wherever kids are, they need to be protected. And it put into place a responsibility for any adult who is aware of any child being abused to have to report that to law enforcement. It, it's kind of shocking, Don, but if you knew that some kid was being abused, you had no legal duty to tell anybody. I mean, that, that's crazy. We have to look out for the most vulnerable among us. So that was another change we made in the law. And then a, another change we made was to extend the statute of limitations. And what that means is, if you're a child or a teenager and you get abused, let's say, at summer camp and the camp should have done a better job protecting you, then you have to bring an action against that camp under old law by the time you're 21, three years from the time you're 18. If you don't do it in the first three years, then statute of limitations is run. You can never bring an action. Well, they've extended that. The legislature did to uh, 10 years for child sex abuse. So if you're a teenager, you have until 28 to bring an action. 
My office thought it should be higher than that. There are a number of states in which there's no statute of limitations at all. Other states, it's 50. Other states, it's 45. Our legislature went to 28, which is on the low end, but it's certainly better than 21. So we were pleased with that. The other thing that they did is they created a two-year look back, meaning that if you're an adult in your 30s, 40s, 50s, and you were abused and you want to hold your abuser accountable in court, you had two years to bring an action because where your statute of limitations expiration would not be held against you. And a number of people did bring those actions. That two-year look-back window expired on December 31st uh, of last month. That issue about whether you can have the look-back is currently being litigated in state court. Some of the defendants, like the Catholic Church uh, in Charlotte, is arguing that that look-back is illegitimate and unconstitutional. I filed a brief arguing that it's fully constitutional. It's just a procedural change. And that's the kind of thing legislatures can do. Uh, we will see what the appellate courts of North Carolina do with that issue. But a number of cases have been brought against individuals and institutions about child sex abuse. Do we still have a, a, a serious problem with sex trafficking? We always do. Yes, we do. It, it's, it's heartbreaking and tragic. Um, so we work with local law enforcement to help train them in tools that they can use to identify when sex trafficking is happening in their communities. There's a, a program, a nonprofit that has created this really powerful um, computer program software where you can actually track by looking at social media, somebody being trafficked in New Jersey and then in Maryland and then in Virginia and then in North Carolina on their way to Florida. And that is a tool that law enforcement can then go use to arrest the perpetrator and free the person who's being trafficked. I want to go back to one other thing we talked about earlier and repeat that to website, the uh, information that people can go to if they have a opioid problem in their family and they want some additional help. That website address was uh, morepowerfulnc.org, as I recall. Uh, tell us just a little bit more about that one more time, just so that people will be more familiar with the resources that are available on that. Yeah, morepowerfulnc.org. And basically, it helps answer questions that people need to know who care about this crisis. What is the opioid crisis? How bad is it? If I am struggling or a loved one is struggling, where can that person go for help? And what can I do about it as a person, as somebody who cares? Maybe I'm just a person. Maybe I'm a sheriff. Maybe I'm a town council member. Whoever I am, you can actually describe who you are and then get ideas about ways that you can attack the problem. You know, just this week, our partnership with the Carolina Hurricanes, um, they organize every year a drug take back event at one of their games. And then they had additional days. So it was Tuesday night's game against Vegas, the Golden Knights. And then on Wednesday and Thursday, they had a partnership with the Raleigh Police Department and the State Bureau of Investigation. And those law enforcement officers stood by the PNC arena and accepted people's pharmaceuticals that they didn't need anymore. Get it out of your medicine cabinet. Get rid of it. Make sure it's properly disposed of and incinerated where nobody can get their hands on it because People who misuse other folks' prescription pills 
the majority of them get them from friends and family, meaning that when they come to your house, they go and look in your medicine cabinet. And do you have some old Percocets or some old Oxycontins from some procedure you had that you didn't use all the pills, but you're like, well, I'll just keep these because maybe someday in the future, I might want another pain pill. Don't do that. You wouldn't leave a loaded gun in your medicine cabinet where somebody who is going to make a bad choice could get their hands on it. Just like you can't leave these pills there because people will steal them and misuse them and sadly become addicted and a number of them will die. Well, I'm glad that uh, website exists and that's morepowerfulnc.org. Our guest is uh, Attorney General Josh Stein and we have one final segment and we're going to turn to looking at uh, a settlement that he reached recently about uh, uh, pres uh, prescription that uh, suddenly raised their price an inordinate amount and we'll talk about that and other things when we return right after these messages. Steven. Who said that? Me. Down here. <gasps> what are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. This forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Plant puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers this week. Our guest is the Attorney General of the state of North Carolina, Josh Stein, and we've talked about all sorts of things. We've talked about COVID-19. We've talked about robocalls. We've talked about e-cigarettes. We've talked about the opioid uh, crisis. We've talked about the Safe Child Act and various and sundry other scams. I, I know recently that you also want a settlement over a medical treatment pill that rose in price 4,000% overnight. Um, that, that's, uh, that's almost amazing. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, people probably have actually heard about this one. There's a guy named Martin Shkreli, but he's better known as Pharma Bro. And what he did is he bought a drug manufacturer that had a pill. Uh, it was a, a pill that people who took it depended on for their lives. And once, once he took ownership, he immediately raised the price of the pill, as you noted, 4,000% to $750 per, per pill. And there wasn't and a generic- Started out at how much? I don't remember what the original price was, but uh, if I could do the math, 
it was a heck of a lot less than the 750 yeah. he raised. Yeah. Uh, and there were no generic alternatives. So people either had to buy his pill or ultimately die. And what he did was outrageous. Uh, and we took him and his company to court. The company was called Turing. Uh, and now it's called Viera. And the he is banned from pharmaceutical industry for life, can never go back into pharmaceuticals. He has to pay $65 million in disgorgement of profits, ill-gotten gains. And then we also reached a deal with the company and his business partner uh, for another $40 million. And so we want to send a strong signal to any company out there that's going to engage in this outrageous unfair pricing that folks need on, to, to live, that we're going to go after them. And, and by the way, I've got a case against multiple generic drug manufacturers for conspiring to raise prices, to set markets. Like you get this product market and I'll get that product market. Instead of fiercely competing and driving down prices, they were uh, carving up markets so they could jack up prices. All of that makes our drug prices more expensive. And we can't have that. Drug prices are already too high. People need their medicine in order to have a good quality of life, or in some cases, to live at all. And when I see illegal pricing behavior, I will aggressively go after it to try to keep prices low for people who need medicine. Well, we were talking during the break, and I won't mention the name of the drug, but we were talking about a drug that I, I take that uh, I've been taking for 20 years, and the cost has risen, uh, let's see, well, about uh, 400%. Uh, and it's a 20-year-old drug. I mean, clearly it doesn't cost any more than it did 20 years ago. Uh, is, is there any action either in Congress or by attorney generals to look into those kinds of uh, price changes in drugs that have been around for a long time? It's really hard. Yeah, I mean, that's we live in a market economy. And if a drug manufacturer, maybe their prices have costs have gone up. Maybe the cost of their labor has gone up as people get paid more money. Maybe the raw materials that they need or the chemicals they need in order to make the pill, those costs have gone up. So I can't speak to any specific drug, but you know, companies are allowed to raise or lower their prices in our market-based economy. But when somebody does something like what this guy did, which is completely outrageous and unfair, then we have a basis yeah. to bring an action. Or if they do what they we allege they're doing in the generic industry, where they're actually engaged in conspiracies that result in higher prices, as opposed to market forces increasing their prices, well, that's illegal. And that's when we can go after it. I notice also on my notes here, Jason has a line that says, call for better regulation of social media companies. <laughs> I think we're all in favor of that, but tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah. I mean, these companies are just massive in scale and scope. They, they're monopolies depending on which market they're in. Facebook is a monopoly when it comes to social media um, websites. Google is a monopoly when it comes to search, and they have a monopoly on their Google Play Store where people download apps. Uh, I've got antitrust cases against both of those companies for all three of those things. Uh, North Carolina is on the executive committee. 
uh, those cases, bipartisan. This is one area, Don, where Democrats and Republican AGs across the country are really working well together. Um, this isn't a partisan issue. We're all really concerned about the massive power these monopolies have and how they use that monopoly power to stifle competition, which hurts you and me. It means that there's less privacy, things are more expensive, and those are, uh, for those reasons, they're illegal. So we're taking legal action against them, but ultimately, I do believe that Congress needs to act. I mean, for instance, we're investigating Instagram. Instagram's owned by Facebook, which is now called Meta. Um, so Facebook owns Instagram. Instagram's own research shows that that app that kids use on their phones makes teenagers have real psychological uh, problems, depression, anxiety, feelings of uh, uh, insecurity, because they're constantly comparing themselves to other people and they spend hours on it. And though there are protections that Congress could enact that would apply to any social media company that has teenage users that frankly, they need to do because we need to look out for kids. It's the same concept of why I went after Jewel for going after kids. Kids don't make good decisions. They're immature. They're not adults yet. That's why they're minors. And we have to have companies not exploit kids' immaturity to make money at the expense of young people's health. While we're on this topic, is there any other legislation on the national level or federal level that is uh, currently being considered by Congress that uh, you would like to talk about or bring up? There, there, as it relates to this whole industry of big tech, I do believe that our national antitrust laws need to be modernized to apply to the world of the internet. Um, you know, th these laws were created to deal with railroad and uh, big oil monopolies in the early 20th century. And we can use them in our cases against these big tech companies, but they can be a little clumsy. And so there is bipartisan legislation, both in the House and the Senate, to modernize our antitrust laws. And I think that would be a very constructive step forward for the country. What are some of the things that would be covered on, on any changes that would be made in that area? Things like evaluating what is the nature of the harm. Um, traditionally, under antitrust law, the courts have interpreted it to mean there has to be a financial cost. Well, Facebook says it's free, but it's not free. You and I are paying for Facebook through our privacy or lack thereof. And folks need to know what they're giving up and have the right to be able to control what information is shared. And frankly, Facebook has to do a heck of a lot better job protecting our personal information. They've been subject of multiple breaches. Remember the Cambridge Analytica case. And it's because they haven't valued privacy, but because they're a monopoly, there's nowhere for other people to, for people to go. You're either with Facebook or you're, you don't have connections to your family and friends. Well, one of the other uh, nonpartisan issues are, are issues that seems to be popular with uh, both uh, uh, conservatives, liberals, Democrats, and Republicans is the uh, business of expanding broadband, especially to the areas underserved in North Carolina. 
Uh, does that also create some problems for you, or is this just something that is going to aid and assist in what you do? No, broadband expansion is nothing but a good thing. We absolutely need it in North Carolina. In fact, one of my um, do not call cases that we won last year uh, against DirecTV for inundating people uh, with telemarketing calls in violation of law, we got $15 million that I gave to the General Assembly. And I said, use this to expand broadband because right now, you know, upwards in the upper mid to upper 80% of the state has access to decent broadband, which means 10 to 15% of North Carolinians can't buy it. Even if they had the money to buy it, they can't buy it. It just doesn't exist. I do want to compliment the legislature and the governor and frankly, the U.S. Congress for appropriating a lot of money to deal with broadband and expand the access to broadband so that hopefully by 2025, 98% of North Carolinians, 99% of North Carolinians will have high-speed, high-quality internet available to them. The next problem, Don, is helping people afford it because it's a utility that we all need. And boy, we learned that in the pandemic in the worst way. You know, kids were sent home and told to do their schoolwork at home. Well, 20% of kids don't have access to decent internet. And then a lot of them don't have computers or technology uh, products that they hardware that they can use to access the internet, even if they did have the internet. So there's a lot of work we need to do to help make broadband not only accessible to everyone, but affordable to everyone. And of course, you uh, also, uh, we're finding out, especially through the COVID-19 situation of what this does for telemedicine. It's incredible. It's uh, so much rich opportunities if we can expand uh, internet access statewide. I mean, you look at rural communities, a business can't locate to a community that doesn't have high quality internet. I mean, it's just, it's a no brainer. Uh, small business can't grow and thrive in a rural community that doesn't have decent internet. So in order to help rural North Carolina be economically competitive going forward, we have to make sure that there's high quality internet available in every corner of the state. And by doing so, we will improve economic opportunities for people. You talked about telemedicine. We're gonna be able to improve people's health because even if there's not a psychiatrist in some small rural county, because none of them live there, that person can still consult with somebody in, in Chapel Hill or Raleigh or Asheville or, or wherever. And then uh, it's really important for our kids' education. We've learned this. I mean kids learning remotely, if you don't have a, a computer, if you don't have the internet, you're not going to make it. And that's not acceptable. We have to give every child in the state a meaningful opportunity to succeed, uh, to build the kind of future we want for the people of North Carolina. I want to repeat the number. If you feel like you've seen a scam or you feel like you have a question, that uh, email address is ncdoj.gov slash complaint and they will uh, go to work and investigate and uh, uh, give you the assistance that you are requesting ncdoj.gov complaint our program has been produced by jason kong and he'll have another interesting guest for us again next week on the same group of stations all across north carolina and so until next week same time same station Hope that you and yours have a very good week 
Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.